Hello and welcome to Living Hope. This is Pastor Staten, and I want to welcome everybody that is joining us today. A shout out to our E family, all of you that are joining us through the internet. I want to remind you every Sunday morning at 11 o'clock, you can join us live at tv.livinghopemd.com. I pray that today's message blesses you and that you enjoy the word as it is shared today. I'm so lost to be found, and I know it's in my mind. If I make my bed in hell, you are there with me. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Amen. 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 The Lord bless you. We're going to turn to the book of Acts, chapter 5. We're going to continue tonight. Amen. In our walk through the book of Acts. As after we dismiss our elements. Class, those of you that are in elements can be dismissed. Amen. Amen. Acts chapter 5, and we left off uh, at verse number 11. So we'll be picking up at verse 12. And then, of course, Brother Roberts taught last week. We took a little, uh, about a week's break in between. Amen. Amen. Acts 5 and 12, and by the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people. And they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. And of the rest durst no man join himself to them. But the people magnified them. And believers were the more added to the Lord, multitudes both of men and women, insomuch that they brought forth the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and couches that at the least the shadow of Peter passing by might overshadow some of them. There came also a multitude out of the cities round about Jerusalem, bringing sick folks and them which were vexed with unclean spirits, and they were healed, every one. Amen. The Lord bless you. You can be seated. We're going to pick up there, the again, the English Standard Version, giving to these five verses, summarizing them with the thought, many signs and wonders done. Amen. Many signs and wonders done. To begin looking in these Five verses, amen. Uh, I was looking ahead a little bit, and I think it's next week. There's about almost 30 verses in the next segment, so it's going to be a long Wednesday night next week. Uh, on, on, the, on the good side, tonight probably be a shorter night. We only have uh, five verses to look into. That doesn't always mean anything, amen. You can get one great point. Amen, and uh, teach all night on that. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. I might forget what time it is. The way I've been batting tonight. I'll, I'll... All right. I, I told the praise singers, I hope it gets better. Herbie was kind. He said, you're getting all your forgetting out of the way because you're thinking about the word that you're going to be delivering in a few minutes. We'll go with that, Herbie. I think that's a, that's a great uh, solution, great answer. All right, so the, the first thing that I want to do to begin looking at this segment of scriptures is actually back up one verse. So we're beginning in Acts 5 and 12, but I want us to look back to 5.11 because I believe there's a connection between 5.11 and 5.12. 5.11, uh, we read there, says, And great fear came upon all the church. If you remember, that was the uh, Ananias and Sapphira incident where they came in wanting to appear that they had sold the land and giving everything to the church, which... Again, as Peter said, you didn't have to sell it, and even then you didn't have to give it all. It was up to you whether you sold it or not. It was whether up to you how much of it you gave. But it wasn't that they 
um, didn't give it all. It was that they gave the pretense or they made everybody believe that they were giving everything. And furthermore, they lied to the Holy Ghost, which is not a good thing to do. And so we know Ananias dies and then Sapphira comes in a couple of hours later and doubles down on the live Ananias and she falls over dead. They carry her out. And now we get to verse 11. As a result of this, great fear comes upon all the church. And as, so not just the church, but everybody who hears about it, there's this fear. Now, it's not fear, you know, like you watch Friday the, Friday the 13th. It's reverence fear. All right, so I'm about a reverence. There's a great reverence that comes upon the church. And then we go on in verse 12. By the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people. And so I think between verse 11 and verse 12, there's a cause and effect that is taking place. The cause is found in verse 11, where there's great fear that comes upon the church, great reverence that comes on the church, and again, as many as heard these. So in the community surrounding, in the city of Jerusalem, everybody who heard about what took place in the church, there's a reverence for the things of God that comes upon them. And the effect of that is that... There's many signs and wonders that are done, all right? The cause is a great reverence that comes, and the result is that there is an increase in signs and wonders, amen? What does that tell us, even 2,000 years later, that the greater reverence we have for the things of God, the greater reverence we have for the people of God, for the presence of God, for the Word of God, amen? The greater reverence we have for authority, the authority of God, amen, that the greater the miracles are going to be. If you want a miracle, if you want God to do a miracle in your life, a great place to start. Amen. The Bible says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Amen. If you want God to work in an increased capacity in your life, a great place to start is to be deepening your reverence for the things of God. If you have a shallow reverence for the things of God, then there's probably going to be a shallow work that God is going to be able to do in your life. But when we will deepen that, we'll increase that, amen, get a greater reverence for the things of God, that gives God an increased opportunity to work in our lives. Amen. So I want to look very quickly just kind of um, the reverence for ordained authority. When I say ordained, ordained is just God, God positioned, God sanctioned authority. Not all authority is God sanctioned. Amen? Amen. I mean, no people can rise up and say, well, I'm in charge here. That doesn't mean they're in charge. Amen. God sanctioned authority. God put them in place. Um, so I, I want to look at that. First and foremost, I hope we're all in agreement tonight what the first and foremost authority in our lives should be when it comes that God has sanctioned and ordained. Amen. I'll give somebody an opportunity. I know everybody gets fearful. What is the premier, the number one authority in our lives that God is authorized. What'd you say, Brother Jane? Nope, that's second. You got it in your hands. All right, there you go. The Word, the Bible is the premier authority. All right, great guess. I'll give you a dollar later for guessing that. All right, but it's not me because here's the thing if the preacher opposes the Word, guess who's right? All right, the Word. The Word is the premier authority. The Word of God is the premier authority. Amen. So that. Everything else, the Bible says, let, let, ever, let, let man be a liar, amen, but the word of God is true. The word of God is true. Let every man be a liar. If I get up here and preach something that's not biblical 
or that opposes the word of God, the word is right and I'm wrong. Amen. The word of God. That, that, that's there to safeguard you, to keep you from falling into error. Amen. To keep you from following after some doctrine. Amen. You need to, you, if, it's not, if it's not Bible-based, if that doctrine is not rooted in the scripture, then I don't care who preaches it. It's not godly. Amen. It's not authorized by God. The word is number one. Amen. How, how can we then, how can we increase our reverence, our respect, our fear, as the scripture calls it, for this book? I think there's some practical ways that we can do that. And, and so I'm just going to share some of those practical things. I think we do it here as a church when the word of God is being read. Amen. We should stand for the reading of the word of God. That's one way that we can demonstrate our respect. Uh, tonight, if, if the president of the nation, would, regardless of how you feel about him, no matter, I don't care, you know, we're not here to get into that, but regardless of how you feel, I think for respect for the office of that man, you would stand tonight out of reverence for the office that he holds. All right, and, and I think you should, to be honest. I think you should because of the office that he holds. Uh, if a king or a dignitary to walk in here tonight, uh, I, you know, we would stand because we reverence the position that they hold. And so it is that when the word of God is being read, that's why we stand, amen, is because we have, we, we have a reverence for the word of God. Another thing, just very practical, that my uh, grandfather practiced and, and kind of passed that on to me, is I try to be mindful that if this book is on my desk, if the Bible is on my desk, there's no other book on top of it. All right, it's always going to be on top. If I'm studying and there's a notebook there, I'm going to put my Bible on top of the notebook. Now, again, I'm not saying if you, do, you, know, if you have something on your Bible, I'm not saying you're going to hell for that. I'm just telling you that's a practical way for you to keep in mind that the Word of God is preeminent in my life. All right, it's number one in my life. I'm going to treat it with respect. It's not just another book in my library. It's not just another book that I read. It is the book. It is the word of God. It is the word. Amen. It's what I follow after. Amen. Amen. Second then, Brother James, you, you got ahead of me, but second should be pastoral leadership. Amen. And I know dipping into this topic two times in a row that I've gotten up here is a little awkward. Uh, could appear that, you know, it's self-serving. Of course, you're going to hammer on that. You're the pastor, um, you know, especially when I back up one verse to grab it. You know, we're starting on verse 12. Why are you backing up to 11? It must be so you can touch on that again. However, there is an undoubted connection between the increased reverence and the overflow of signs and wonders. Amen. We, that Acts 5, 11, and 12, there is an obvious connection between what happens in Acts 5, 11, and what happens in 512. Amen. And so here's what I will say to this. You should have reverence for pastoral authority in your life. Amen. And I would say this. If you don't believe that you're under ordained God, God-ordained authority. If you're in a church, this church, namely, because we're all here in this church tonight. And you don't believe the pastor, the guy with the microphone right now is ordained and sanctioned by God to be the leader of this church, you don't believe that he is sanctioned by God to be a pastor, amen, then the first thing that you should do is run out that door. All right? You should run out that door. Amen? And find you a church that you do believe that man that is feeding you, that is responsible for guiding you to where you're going to spend eternity, amen, that, to me that's, that's very important. 
Amen. I, if I'm, you know, if I if I'm the, the more value I'm placing on something, the more the more wisdom I want the individual. You know, if I'm calling and I'm going to book a vacation that's going to cost three thousand dollars, I don't. I want a travel agent. Brother Chris took me up on. It. He said, "I'm out. I'm just kidding." <laughs> uh, Bad, bad time to go out. Uh, if, if I'm booking a, a vacation, I'm going to spend thousands of dollars on that. I want a travel agent that knows what they're talking about. I want somebody that knows, and we're talking about eternity. All right, if the vacation doesn't go bad, I can come back and leave a Google review. If eternity don't go, don't go right, there ain't no second chances on that. So I, you need to know that you have to, you need to know that you're in a place where the man of God that is standing behind that desk is sanctioned and ordained by God to be there Amen. Amen. And you can't settle when it comes to that. You can't settle. Well, I can't find one, so I'm just going to, I'll just go to this church because I think this is the closest thing to it. You can't, this ain't horseshoes, right, where you get a point if you're close to the pen. All right, this ain't that. What I would say to you is go home tonight. If you feel like, well, there's no good church in this community, go home tonight, quit your job, sell your house, And move to a city where you know there's a pastor there that you can trust to get your soul to heaven. It's that important. I mean that. I absolutely mean that. Your job, your career are not as important as your soul. Your your job and career are going to pass away. You'll get a new job. You'll retire from that job. But eternity is forever. Amen. And because of that, there should be reverence for pastoral authority in our lives. Amen? If we look further into Acts chapter 5, verse 12, the Bible says that they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. Amen. They were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. Four times in the first five chapters of Acts, the term in one accord is mentioned. Acts chapter 1, verse 14 tells us they were all with one accord in prayer. Acts chapter 2 verse 1 says they were all with one accord in one place. We know that being the upper room, which was where the Holy Ghost was soon to be poured out. In fact, in that same group of verses, the Holy Ghost was poured out. Acts 2 and 46 tells us that they were in one accord in the temple daily. And then finally here in Acts 5 and 12, where it says they were in one accord in Solomon's porch. The point being, in one place, they're in one accord in prayer. In another place... They're in in one accord where the Holy Ghost is being poured out in an upper room. In another place, they're in one accord in the temple. And then finally, they're in one accord in Solomon's porch. The point is this, that the church is not called to be unified in one certain setting. Amen. We're not called to be unified from 10 to 2 on Sunday inside of this building. No, the church is called to be unified everywhere that we go. Amen. We, We are called... Amen. We are commissioned to be a unified body of believers. Amen. It's not a Sunday morning thing. It's not a Wednesday night thing. It's not intended, okay, it's 630. We need to, get, we need to be unified now. And then as soon as the clock strikes 830 and the pastor dismisses, we can get back into our discord and our grievances and our disagreements. No, that, that's not it. We are called to be in unity no matter where we are. We are the body of Christ and we've got to be in unity with one another. Amen. A unified church is unified all the time, everywhere, and with everyone. 
well, I, I'm in unity with most of the church, but there's this person, that, no, no, it, it's, it's in one accord. It's all of us together, amen, no matter where we're at. I might be, I might be not, and I'm, we might not be in the same place. I might be working in one location, you're in another, but we're in unity and agreement in the spirit, amen. Ephesians 4 and 3 says that we are to endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Amen. To endeavor means to passionately work. Amen. To passionately work. I don't know about you all, but there are some things that I don't mind endeavoring in. I don't mind endeavoring to finish a good meal. Amen. I passionately work at that. To endeavor is something, to work at something that you are passionate about. Amen. Ephesians 4 and 3 from the New Living Translation says it this way. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit. It's, we're not united by uh, uh, something that we, a, a philosophy or a way of thinking. We're, we're united by the Spirit. Amen. If we had to get united because we all agree about the same thing, it's not going to happen. All right. Somebody right now, my wife leaned over to me and said, it's hot in here. I, I think it feels good. Somebody else probably thinks it's cold. How many of you think it's cold right now? Anybody? I'm sure there's somebody. You could, all right, I saw your hand. I, I won't call you out, but I saw a hand up. All right? And, and that's just the way it is. No matter, right, a few years ago they put that dress on the Internet, and I said that's white and gold. And I thought it was white and gold. How many other people looked at it, and what was the other colors? Blue and black. Right? I'm like, how did you see blue and black? But anyway, Whatever. Proving the point that we can look at the same exact thing and we can disagree over it. All right? So there, there's not anything, and I used this before, but in fact, the Word of God, Jesus himself said, if two or three can agree, touching just one thing in my name, it will be done. All right? Even Jesus himself said, I ain't trying to get 200 or 300 to agree. All right? And if Jesus can't get 200 to 300 to agree, who are we to think we can Amen. But what he, what he does expect, what, unity is not based upon agreement. Unity is based upon we want the Spirit of God to move in this building. We want the Spirit of God to touch lives. Amen. We want the Spirit of God to move. Amen. So I will submit myself. I will submit myself. It doesn't have to be my way. I don't have to be right all the time. What does have to happen all the time is the Spirit has got to move in this place. Amen. So it says, make every effort to keep yourselves united. The English Standard Version says it this way, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And lastly, the Amplified Version says, Ephesians 4 and 3, like this, be eager and strive earnestly to guard and keep the harmony and oneness of and produced by the Spirit in the binding power of peace. How many of you would agree that unity is hard work? All right, I just read you from five different translations to bring out that point. That unity is hard work, but it's work that is worth it. Amen. Not all the work that we do in this life is worth it. Amen. There's been a lot of things I did, and after I finished doing them, I looked back and I said, that was a waste of my time. Amen. But there are some things that are worth doing. Amen. There are some things that after you get done, you look back and you say, I'm glad that I did that. It was worth the time and the effort. And unity is one of those things because, amen, it's in, it's, in, it's in the culture of a unified church and the climate of a unified church that God says, I will do, I will multiply miracle signs and wonders in a unified church.
Amen. I know the main points, if we were to look into motifs and themes of the book of Acts, I would categorize the main themes if we took the whole book of Acts. Number one is the outpouring of the Spirit. The most important thing that happens in the book of Acts is the outpouring of the Spirit. Amen. Secondly, we find the expansion of the church. First, it expands within Jerusalem. And then after persecution, it, it, it expands into Samaria and Judea and all of the cities surrounding it. And uh, thirdly would be salvation coming to the Gentiles. All of us in this room tonight should be pretty thankful for that. And I don't Unless you have a lineage that I wasn't aware of, most of us weren't born into, into the birthright. Amen. But because of salvation that came in Acts chapter 10 and the door was open for salvation to come to the Gentiles, we all have hope of salvation. Amen. And then the fourth theme that I would categorize or say would be a, a main motif or theme in the book of Acts are the miracles that were worked through the hands of the apostles. Amen. From the beginning, uh, right after they filled the Holy Ghost, all the way through the end, the conclusion of the book of Acts, there are miracle signs and wonders that are taking place at the hands of the apostles. But, but could I say that while these are the main four motifs and themes that get the most attention, I would say that unity, more, maybe more than all of these, unity is talked about as much, if not more, than all of these in the first five chapters of the book of Acts. Amen. Unity. There's more times unity is mentioned than there are healings that take place. There's more time unity is mentioned than there are even outpouring of the Holy Ghost. At least, you know, obviously you multiply that by 5,000 people, okay, then you win. But if you're talking about times that it's mentioned, unity is talked about more than any other topic in the first five chapters. We look at Acts chapter 1, verse 14. It's talking about unity. Acts chapter 2, verse 1, unity. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 46, unity. Acts chapter 4, verses 32 through 36. Anybody want to guess? Unity. Acts chapter 5, verse 12, where we're reading now, unity. Amen. This is the importance. It's important. Amen. Unity in the body of Christ is not just important, it is essential. Amen. It is essential. Amen. Are you thankful for a unified church? I'm not saying we're perfect. Amen, but I am thankful for a unified church. I'm thankful for a unified body of believers that when we come together on Sunday morning, amen, that, that, that it's pretty much unanimous that we enter into worship together. Amen, that when the word goes forward, it's pretty much unanimous that living hope is going to get behind the preacher. Why? Because there's unity in the church. And when there is unity in the church, we can anticipate that God is going to move in an exponential, multiplied fashion. Amen. Amen. How many of you know to get the benefits of being a part of the body, you've got to be connected to the body? Amen. If you, if you, have, if you have an accident and you lose a portion of a finger, amen, that, that whatever part, part you lost or fell off, however it came off, it don't get the benefits anymore. It don't get the blood flow. It, don't, it doesn't get... The, the cells and the nutrients that are supposed to flow to it. Why? Because it's been detached from the body. And so I want to say to somebody, if you want the benefits, amen, of God doing miracles, then you need to connect yourself to the church. You need to connect yourself to the body of Christ. Amen. You need to get attached. Amen. Because the benefits of the body only come to those that are connected to the body. 
Well, I don't know if I can do that, Pastor. Again, let me take you back to the word endeavor, which means to work. We've all had to work through some things to stay connected to the body. We've all had to work through bitterness and grudges and offenses. If you're here tonight and you haven't had to work through that, it's going to come. Amen. How many of you have had to work through an offense in this church? All right. Don't raise your hands, but I know some of you have had to work through offenses by me. I've offended some of you, but you work through it. That's what unity does. That's what people of God do. We work through it. We work through it. And by, by working through it, you stay connected. And by staying connected, you get the benefits. Amen. Amen. Let's continue on in verse 13. And of the rest, durst. Bonus points for any of you that have used that word in a sentence this week. I was going to, but I durst not. I don't think you use that. Of the rest, durst no man join himself to them, but the people magnified them. What does that mean? Let me read it from the New Living Translation. But no one else dared to join them, even though all the people had high regard for them. Amen. The, another translation says the people magnified them. All right. Again, the New Living Translation saying the people had high regard for them. Can I just say this tonight? Parents, your children are going to have heroes. Well, I don't think our kids should have heroes. That's not, that's not a choice. They're going to have heroes. All right? Everybody in this building, you have people that you hold in high regard. You're going to hold somebody in high regard. Why not teach your children that Sunday school teachers are heroes? Amen? Why, why not teach your children that, that Sunday school teacher that spends time studying throughout the week to bring to them the gospel. Why not, amen, instead of going back home and undermining and saying, well, I don't know how much time they, no, don't do that. Build them up. Amen, let that child, that, that's a hero. Amen, I want you to look up to them. I want you to emulate the life that they are living. Amen, we, we need to teach our children that missionaries are heroes. They are. They, they are absolutely missionaries or heroes. Amen. That, that preachers are examples that we should look up to. Amen. Amen. I know, well, that's dangerous. Amen. Because if, 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 I, if I have to teach my children to look up to them, they, they may let them down. Compared to what? The heroes nowadays are athletes, actors, and influencers. Most of whom who have, they don't have morals. Right? They're, they're propagating values that are in direct opposition to the Word of God. Amen. Those are right now are the heroes that are propped up by our society. Amen. So even if a Sunday school teacher stumbles a little bit and less, it's probably better even then than the heroes that they have right now. Amen. So why not raise your children to have heroes that run the aisles? Amen. Why not raise your children to have heroes who are in the altar praying? Why not, amen, raise your children to have heroes who play the drums in church? Amen. Why not raise your children to look up to that husband who has been faithful to his wife? Amen. The elder that is in the church that is chosen to be faithful in the house of God. Amen. They, they magnified them. They held them in high regard. But it also turns, turns around in the same sentence where it says that they magnified and said they durst not join them. 
They dared not to join the, they, they looked up to them. They said, those guys are, man, they're incredible what, what's, what's happening through them. But I don't want to be associated with them. All right, I, I, man, it's amazing what God is doing, but I don't, you know, I don't want people to know when I go to Living Hope. It's awesome what God's doing to Living Hope, but I I'm not wearing the t-shirt to work. You know, the one that says Living Hope on. I'm not wearing that one to work. All right, even though they looked up to them, they wouldn't join them. Jesus also experienced this. In John chapter 3, verse 1, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. Amen. And the Bible says that Nicodemus was a ruler of the Jews and that he came to Jesus. When did he come? By not, that's not an accident. Nicodemus came by night because he didn't want anybody to see him coming to Jesus. He came by night because it would be harmful to his reputation. It would be damaging to his career. If he came to Jesus in broad daylight, he would lose face. He would lose position. He would lose clout. And so what did he do? He came by night. But listen, I know we, we read this, and well, it's just one man, Nicodemus. But when Nicodemus comes to Jesus, he says, Rabbi, we know that thou art come from God. We, there's others. I'm not the only one. There's a lot of us religious leaders who know that you are a teacher that was sent from God. I'm the only one that has the guts to come, but even me, only at night. Amen. There's a lot of people that see the good that you're doing, Jesus, but they, they're not willing to risk their reputation. They're not, it's going to cost them to be associated with you. Amen. So that's why I'm coming to you by night, and the rest of them wouldn't come at all. John 9, 19 through 22. This is an instance, the instance where Jesus, uh, the blind man is there, and Jesus takes the dirt and spits into it and makes clay, the Bible says mud, and rubs it into the man's eyes, and his eyes are open. And the Pharisees ask his parents in John 9 and 19, they say, is this your son who was born blind? How, how then doth he now see? Listen to what his parents say. Talk about throwing your son under the bus. His parents answered them and said, well, we know that's our son, and we do know that he was born blind, but by what means he now seeth, we don't know. Or who hath opened his eyes, we know not. He's of age, ask him. Well, that, Pastor, that's not lack of courage. Well, let's keep reading. These words spake his parents because they feared the Jews. They knew Jesus was the one that healed him. They knew Jesus was the one that opened his eyes. Amen. But they were afraid to be associated with Jesus because, why? Because they feared the Jews. Because it was going to call. Can I tell you, there are people here even tonight. And there will be people that come on Sunday. They know, amen, they know that Jesus is the answer. They know that Jesus is the way. But they, they hesitate to associate themselves with Jesus because of what it's going to cost them. Because if I follow Jesus, I can't follow that crowd any longer. Because if I follow Jesus, I'm going to have to cut that relationship off, and I'm not ready to do that. Amen. Because if I follow Jesus, that habit that I've, amen, that pet sin of mine, let's call it a habit, that I have in my life, I'm not willing to part ways with that. And so even though I, amen, even though I recognize that Jesus is the answer and he is the way, I durst not join myself to him. Amen. And then lastly, in John 12, verse 42, nevertheless, among the chief rulers also, many believed on him. Amen. Among the chief rulers, many believed on him, but because of the Pharisees, they did not confess them 
or confess him because or lest they should be put out of the synagogue. Again, people that saw Jesus and doing his miracles and they knew that he was mighty. They knew that he was sent from God, but they didn't want to be associated with him because of what it would cost them. Same thing that's happened with the disciples now. The people look at them. They see the works that God is doing through them. Amen. They magnify them. They look up to them. But at the end of the day, no, I can't be one of you because of what it's going to cost me. It's time for, we're getting too close to the coming of the Lord for some of you, for all of us. Amen. Jesus is coming soon. If you can't tell that by what's going on in our world today. Some of you are going to make up your mind too late to join yourself to Jesus, and he's going to be gone. Amen. I wouldn't, that ain't in my notes to get that heavy tonight. Amen. But what's holding you back? What's holding you back from joining yourself to Jesus, from joining yourself to the church? Amen. What, what is, what, you're, you're counting the cost of something that isn't even going to go with you into eternity. Amen. But because of some relationship and some association and some habit, Amen. You're willing to lay down an eternity over something that you can't even carry with you into eternity. Hallelujah. Amen. There are people that are watching you live for Jesus. Sister Sylvia talked about in a prayer request. The young lady at the dentist, and I thought it was go to the dentist and said, we've made an impression on her. You did say that earlier, right? I had to try and keep a straight face, but inwardly I was laughing. <laughs> and, <laughs> so, that's what you do when you go to a dentist. You give them impressions of your teeth. That's why. Oh, anyway, all right. But people are watching you. Amen. Your neighbors are watching you. Your coworkers are watching you. People in the community are watching you. Amen. Can I tell the church it's not time to abandon morals. It's not time. There are people right now that are looking at you and they admire you. They can't join themselves to you right now because of what it's going to cost you, but they're watching the way that you live. It's not time to abandon holiness. It's not time to abandon righteous living. Amen? I promise you there are people that reverence you because the way that you live. There are people that are watching your separated lifestyle and they're looking at you and inwardly they're saying, I wish I could do that, but I can't because of what it's going to cost me. Can I tell you the day is going to, there's a good chance that there was a man in the crowd that day, that day by the name of Saul. Amen. And at that time, Saul could not lay down his profession because of what it would have cost him. But there was going to come a day when he had an encounter with God. Amen. Where he had a revelation from Jesus Christ. And it may not be today, but you just just keep living holy. Amen. You keep on living righteous. Amen. It may feel like they're rejecting you, but I promise you they're watching you. Amen. Don't think just because they, are, they aren't joining you right now means they're rejecting you. They're just trying to figure out, am I ready to pay the price it's going to cost me to live like that? Am I ready to pay the price it's going to cost to be a true follower of Jesus? Amen. And so the Bible said in verse 13 that nobody wanted to join them, even though they magnified them. But look at the next verse. Verse 14 says, And believers were the more added to the Lord, multitudes. Amen. So a verse before it says, 
You know, nobody wants to join themselves. They magnify them, they look up to them, but nobody wants to join themselves. But one verse later, it says, but multitudes are being added to them after this great miracle that has taken place. Commentaries explain the paradox that is presented in verses 13 and 14. So in between, we have this great reverence. So here's, we got the whole crowd, all right? The whole crowd, everybody is looking up to these disciples and they're reverencing them. But, but of that crowd, there's kind of a, polar, a polarizing group. There's one group over here that says, I can't join myself to them. But then there's another group over here that is watching the same miracle signs and wonders. Amen. And they are being drawn to this. Amen. They're saying, I've got to join myself to this. So there's just two separate groups that we're looking at right now. And I, I promise you, church, it's not time to give up on, on holiness. It's not time to walk away from righteous living. Amen, because for every person that says I'm not ready to live like that, there's a neighbor living two doors down that's just waiting for an opportunity. They're hungry to live like that. They're they're tired of sin. They're tired of the destructive nature of sin. Amen, John Stott in his commentary titled The Bible Speaks Today summarizes it this way. The presence of the living God, whether manifest through preaching or miracles or both, is alarming to some and appealing to others. Some are frightened away while others are drawn to faith. And we've seen it happen on a Sunday morning. right? We don't, we don't, we don't dumb down our worship because a guest walks in. And we just introduce them to radical, crazy, insane praise. And, and, you know, they come in and some are like, this ain't for me, this ain't my cup of tea, and they leave. Amen, but then there are others that walk in and they're like, this is what I've been looking for. I've been looking for something that's real. I've been looking for something that has power. I've been looking for something that people really believe in and they're willing to be passionate about it. Amen. And then moving on to Acts 5 and 15, in so much that they, it's talking about this multitude that's being drawn And it says, insomuch that they brought forth the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and couches that at least the shadow of Peter passing by might overshadow some of them. Now, I'll be honest, I've read this passage many times, and I've read it accurately, but but how many of you read something and you get mental images when you read it? I do, and I hold on to things better when I do that, which might shock you because I think I've forgotten about everything tonight that I could possibly forget. But when I've read this many times in my mind, I translated it that they laid them in the streets for any of the apostles walking by for their shadow to fall on them, right? Uh, But it doesn't say that. It doesn't say any of the apostles. They they laid them in the street for one specific person. And I, I don't think that was accidental. Why Peter? Why not John? Why not Thomas? Why not Matthew? Why not James? Why why not any of these other disciples? Why Peter? I think the answer is found earlier in this verse, early in these verses, because Peter is the one that had withstood sin. Peter was the one that had the courage to stand up and withstand the lie, the sin of Ananias and Sapphira. And there was a reverence for that man, amen, because he took a stand against sin. Amen. And I want to tell you today in an hour when nobody wants to confront sin, amen, miracles and signs are only going to come to a church that will in this hour say we are going to stand against sin. We're not going to. 
We're not going to let down. We're not going to stop preaching against sin. Absolutely, we're going to love every person that walks in this room. But we're not going to stop hating sin. Amen. When it comes down to it and people are looking for salvation, everybody say salvation. Not everybody is going to church because they want salvation. Some are going to church because they want their conscience appeased. And if I can go to church on Sunday, I'll feel better about myself. Some are going to church because they like choir music. Amen. Or they like a praise team. Whatever. I don't, they're, or they're looking for a spouse. Man, if I go to church, there, you know, probably a better chance I'll find me a spouse that, that, you know, is worth marrying. So I'll go to church and find me a spouse. Amen. Brother Roberts came to church because of Sister Roberts. All right. It, it, she got him. It worked, right? They're pastor in church now. So obviously that worked. Not everybody is coming to church because they want to be saved. And if you're, not, if you're coming to church and you don't care about salvation, you'll go to any old church. If you got somebody that can jump on the organ and play something and somebody get on the drums and hammer out a beat, then that church will do for me. Don't matter whether or not they're standing against sin, it's good enough for me. Amen? There's a thousand reasons why you would join yourself to a church that have nothing to do with salvation. But when you get serious about your salvation... When you make up your mind, I'm not going to hell. Amen. I refuse to spend eternity in hell. Then let me tell you what you're going to do. You say, I'm, I want to be under the shadow of a church that's taking a stand in this hour. Amen. I want to be under the shadow of a man of God who's taking a stand against sin in this hour. Living hope, it's not time to let down. I believe that they are trying to get those that are really serious about salvation are going to try to get in the shadow of this church because they know that we've taken a stand against sin. Amen. I just want to conclude. You can stand with me with one last statement that I want us to look at. Acts 5 and 16. There came also a multitude, amen, out of the cities round about Jerusalem, bringing sick folks. So it wasn't just in Jerusalem. It's amazing when you take a stand. Peter took a stand in Jerusalem, but the ripple effect of standing for righteousness, amen, the ripple effect of not silencing your voice just because the rest of culture is saying, shut up and don't say that and this is the way you need to think, and that's what you need to believe. The ripple effect of a righteous people will reach beyond, amen. Simon, Peter could not have reached that far. It was beyond what he could reach, amen. And, and my impact, your impact, when you simply take a stand, you don't need a microphone. You don't have to be a pastor. You don't have to have a position in the church. But if you will take a stand and say, I'm going to be a righteous man of God. I'm going to be a righteous woman of God. Amen. I'm going to live according to the authority of the Word of God. If you will do that, the ripple effect, the ripple effect is going to be greater than what you could ever have made happen on your own power. It's going to be reached further than, than your own reach could ever have reached. Amen. And God is going to reach. It started in Jerusalem, but cities around, they began to bring them because one man stood up and said, No, you're not going to lie to the Holy Ghost. We're going to take a stand for righteousness. They brought their sick folks and, and them which were vexed with unclean spirits. Hallelujah. 
Sister Jones, I know Saturday we had the opportunity to have lunch with you and your husband. Y'all were, the conversation came up in there about the church that you had attended for a while in a year's stretch. Every service, demons were getting cast out of people. People that walked in looking sweet and innocent. But when the Holy Ghost got to moving, that demon couldn't hide any longer and it revealed. Church, we have authority over demons. We have authority over unclean spirits. Amen. Amen. I, I, I'm not saying we make a devil out of everything. Amen. Sometimes people that want attention can pose as a devil just to disrupt the service. I'm not talking about that. But I am saying the devil should not feel comfortable in an apostolic service. Amen. The devil should not be able to sit through a Pentecostal, Holy Ghost-filled apostolic service. Amen. And here's the deal. You understand that the people that come in and those evil spirits are possessing them, the person is a captive of that spirit. We're not being mean or unfair or, you know, trying to be mean. We're trying to help that person. Amen. Anytime you look in the scripture and somebody was bound by a demon, amen, that, that man in the Gadarenes with those evil spirits, after Jesus cast those, that legion of spirits out of him, amen, he came and fell at the feet of Jesus and worshiped him. Amen. He was, he, he was disappointed when he couldn't follow. He was filled with gratitude. Thank you, Jesus, that you delivered me from this oppressing, possessing spirit. Amen. There are people that walk into our churches and they're bound by, amen, spirits of alcoholism and drug addiction. They're bound by spirits of perversion. They can't even make it through a day without that spirit being appeased by their actions. Just think of how much more peace could be in their life if that spirit was cast out of them. And I'm praying God will bring an apostolic revival to this church. Amen. That when people walk in here with unclean spirits vexing them, that when they walk in here bound by evil spirits, we don't have to make a big show out of it. All we got to do is pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Lay hands on them and those evil spirits will be driven out of them. Amen. Amen. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise tonight. Let's thank you. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah, God, we thank you that you have all power. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you help me pray over our service on Sunday? I just want us to pray these things that we're reading. It's almost eerie to me how much as we work through the book of Acts, we're kind of right after that, we see some of what we've read in Acts starts to happen in our local church even. I want us to pray that God would do this on Sunday. God, let there be multiplied signs and wonders. Oh, God, let there be miracles in this building on Sunday. God, as we take a stand for truth and righteousness, God, as we take a stand for holiness, God, and godly living, I pray, oh, God, let those that are vexed by evil spirits, God, let those that are oppressed, Lord, I know not everybody that comes is going to be able to join themselves God, because they're not ready to let go of what it's going to cost them. But God, there are going to be people that come and they've been looking for this. They've been longing for this. They've been hungering for this. And I pray that when they walk into this building on Sunday, they would find deliverance. I pray that when they walk into this building on Sunday, God, there would be healing. In the name of Jesus, we pray it. Hallelujah. 
You know what it says in, in, in the verse where it says they brought them and laid them in the streets? It said they were all healed. I believe that's the will of God that they would, I believe this Sunday, every cancer that comes into this building, every situation, every, every life that is battling high blood pressure, diabetes, I don't care what the sickness is, amen, I believe that it's the will of God that every sickness be healed. Sometimes it is easy to start on your destination without knowing the exact path that it takes to get there. To get to our destination, we need to follow the one who knows our predestined path. Be sure to subscribe and watch us every Sunday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Also, visit us at www.livinghopemd.com. So I'm going to wait on you, Jesus. I'm going to 